was excellent. All I can hear is cats in the background. Good. <laughs> is this going to be a problem? Okay, I'm leaving. Hello and welcome to Scott Rock. Where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie. And me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Cool. Uh, welcome back to Scott Rock. We are back on the controversial panel show, episode 20. We did promise originally that we were going to do uh, one every ten, five or ten episodes, and so far we're still on track. Uh, so me and Callum are back, looking beautiful as always. We are joined by the wonderful Becca Drummond and the troll that lives under the bridge, Robbie Phillips. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, each of us, just like last time, each of us has a, a controversial topic that we would like to discuss. We are no doubt going to argue over a lot of these. Well, I hope we're going to argue over these, so they're not going to be very controversial. Um, but... Like like we said last time, we want you guys to argue with us, so leave your comments, send us an email, see what you think, um, tell us what your thoughts are on all of these topics. Uh, cool, right, so to kick off, Becca, Robbie, how are we? Welcome. Thank you, we're really good. good. Well, I'm really good. I'm tired, it? still making my way through first coffee of the day we got up not that long ago. <laughs> see, Callum and Becca, you've been dealing with the double trouble of the two kids, for a while now, yeah. you might have become accustomed mm-hmm. to it. Robbie, the new daddy of two babies. I know. <laughs> I've got both of them down here with me. Hello. This is Kilda. <laughs> and Sky is just chilling down by my by my hip. I'm not going to move her because she seems really <laughs> relaxed. Oh, nice. She went for like their oh. island-themed names. Yeah. I know. I, well, it just felt right. I, I, we, we came up with Sky first. And then I was like thinking of somewhere else, another island that would be good. And then I thought, I've always wanted to go to St. Kilda. I've not yet made the trip. And so I sort of worked, just sort of like went for it. And yeah, she's kind of like, she's kind of dark. St. Kilda looks like it's dark rock. So kind of fits, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Do you call her Kilda oh, or St. Kilda? Or Saint for short? I call her St. Kilda. St. <laughs> <Saint> Kilda! <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's definitely Kilda. an Edinburgh cat name. We put an Instagram story up uh, a couple of days ago asking for controversial questions for this, and there's a couple of couple of good ones that I want to kick off with. Do you remember back when we were teenagers? There was the internet sensational question: What color was the dress? Was it blue or gold? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I need right. To what color was the dress? No, you from memory. Here we go. Gold. Gold. I, uh, I, see, I thought it was blue. Can't remember. Can't remember. Yeah. What I thought. <laughs> that took me. So, that question came in on the Instagram story, and it took me so long to figure out what it was. Uh, next question. This is a big one, and this is going to probably lose us a lot of listeners. To be honest, pineapple on pizza. Yes. Yeah. Oh no. Yes. Absolutely. You yeah. wouldn't put any other type of fruit in a pizza, so no. But pineapple you put in curries and things like that. It's a, it's a savoury fruit. Don't bring curries into this. We're talking about pizza. I'm, I, I'm sorry, Callum. I'm sorry, Callum. There is a tomato base on every pizza. Well, tomatoes are well, a fruit. Wait, you can make an exception for tomatoes. 
And everyone always thinks so they're a vegetable anyway, that, so... That's what I was literally just Googling. Is tomato a fruit? It is a fruit. Yes. Therefore, well, they grow in trees, don't they, so... On a... What? Is it not because they grow in trees instead of... Is that not what makes it a fruit, or...? I've got no idea. Where do pineapples grow? Trees? Pineapples grow in trees? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your point? What's your point? <laughs> <laughs> Anything that grows in a they're tree the same can grow in a pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Nice. Bananas. Acorn! Right. Acorn pizza! <laughs> hey, banana and chocolate Sycamore pizza. pizza. Uh, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off with my my big controversial question. Uh, and I, I think I might pick on someone here, but uh, my question is when first ascents get done, the, the first ascensionist, the person that does the climb first, gets to name the climb, they get to grade the climb. But they also get to give a star rating for the climb. The star rating kind of gives a, an idea of the quality of the route. Um, there's loads of factors that come into justifying the quality of that route. The exposure, the climbing, the gear, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but my question is, should the first ascensionist be the person that gives that star rating? Or should it be down to community consensus over time? What happens if it's a route that no one climbs for a really long time? Especially in Scotland. You get loads of first ascents where they don't, no one will yeah. climb it again for like six or seven years. And yeah, then... it encourage like the star system, it does encourage traffic. <clears throat> like if it's yeah. in a remote place that might not get climbed otherwise, but if it's a three-star classic in a remote place, then it's more likely to get traffic. Yeah, I think, I think there's uh, definitely an argument for, for the consensus over time. You know, once it's had more traffic and pe- everyone can kind of give an opinion on it. But I think initially, when a route's first climbed, you're just kind of going to go with what the first sentinels say. But my question kind of, but my question kind of boils down to: Is the first ascensionist ever truly going to be able to be objective over that star grade? Because we all know we've done first ascents before. Like doing a first ascent means that little bit more to you than doing a climb that somebody else has done before. Uh, you've yeah, put three, the effort three star in experience on a yeah, yeah. zero star. Like, you, like if you do a first ascent, it's been a three star experience. You know, you've put the effort into cleaning it, you've put the effort into scoping it out, you've put the effort into the adventure side of it. Um, then you get the excitement of being able to name it and grade it and putting it out there. So, you know, you're, you're always going to think that the route is slightly better potentially in quality than what it actually is potentially. Um, so can a first ascensionist truly be objective over that? Uh, I'm not sure. Whereas a community consensus over time is definitely going to be objective. And, you know, back in the day, we didn't used to have uh, the ability for community consensus to come very quickly. But these days we've got UKC. We can do that relatively quickly if people go and climb that route, you know. I reckon there's, I reckon there's like proof that first ascensionists can grade their problems or routes or whatever correctly because all you have to look at is find a first ascensionist who's given their own problems no stars and there's loads of people equip sport routes they don't give all their routes three stars two stars or even one star but i think you're more likely to find a first ascensionist who has done a lot of new routes who has a better understanding of what the star system is about someone who's done like one new route might think it's the best thing ever because they put all that effort into effort into it but someone who's like neil shepherd kev howitt 
I'm trying to think of all our first ascensionists. Tess Fryer, Ian Taylor, like all these people have done like loads of first ascents. So it's more likely that they will grade things properly because they know what a zero star route is, they know what a three star route is, and they'll know how their route fits into it. Um, and sometimes like if it's down to local consensus, <clears throat> those locals might actually not have the best idea of what makes a three-star route or a no-star route, if that makes sense, because maybe in your local area, all you have are no-star routes. Tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. Bridge, all my bridge <laughs> classics are four-star routes. <laughs> right, okay. Now Robbie's piped up. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, use you as my perfect example here. And this is what kind of got me thinking about this, this, this point. Obviously... The, the first ascensionist, they give the routes grades because they've got the experience to know kind of what that grade is, yeah? And by the same extent, they also have the experience to say roughly what the quality is, you know, what the star rating might generally be. And Robbie, you've done so many first ascents out there. You know more than most people what a star grade, a star rating should be for a route, Okay. But your classic first ascent last year, Pennywise the Dancing Climber, gets three stars in your book. And it is a, to be fair, to be 100% brutal here, it is a short extension to Monster's Edge that doesn't get any stars. Zinger! Robbie's getting burned from the get-go in this. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. from an outsider that doesn't know Robbie, looking at that going, how does, how does that extra little bit get three stars when the main section of the route doesn't get any stars? You know, it's not actually I think a very short extension. Robbie's done. How, how many meters are we talking? How I would say it's, 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 I mean, like, he said it's a short extension to an existing route, but it's, I mean, the start part is literally a scramble. And then you do probably three moves to get into Pennywise. And then you do the best part of 10 the rest meters of, of climbing, which is, which is all, every single move is engaging um <clears throat> like hard in its own right there's like you get right to the very end and you pull the the lip on a very exposed run out section and do like a crazy mantle yeah and i told i mean maybe i was uh maybe i was overzealous with the with the stars because it was my own um, <laughs> i'm not saying that i'm not saying that look I'm i've not, got robbie on the defensive here this is great <laughs> i'm open up to i'm open up that i'll, I'll make mistakes every now and again for sure but have you, have you done it yet? No, no, I've not done it. I, was, I did. I've not done it. I don't know whether it's worth three stars or not. Murdo's done um, it, so we should talk no, like about said, it. Like I said, like Robbie's done plenty first ascents. He kind of knows what's a three-star route, what's not a three-star route. So uh, like that route probably gets three stars for sure. Um, but for someone who doesn't know Robbie, looking at the guidebook going, how... How can that add, like, was the first century just being a little bit too kind to their own route? Were they truly being objective over this? I don't know. Is giving it more stars not kind of... It reminds me of, like, when people give things quite a hard grade, where it's almost like throwing the gauntlet down a little bit, and you're way more likely to get someone to come and try repeat it. Like, is it not James Pearson in The Walk of Life is the classic example where he graded it, like, E12. E10 or E11? E12, yeah, yeah, and Dave Mack went down and downgraded it to like E9 or something. But you get the same yeah, with stars. Yeah. If, if you get a three-star route, it's way more likely people are going to be like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go try climb that. Whereas if you gave it one star, yeah, people might sure. be like, nah, not worth it. Yeah. Like if the first Ascensionist didn't give 
star grades, then, you know, if, if there was no star grade, very few people would go and climb that route. I yeah. totally understand that. You know, if you gave it three stars, then loads of people are going to come go and try that route. They might be disappointed in the route. It might only be worth one star, but, you know, yeah. they're going to go and try it. Okay, I was just say, about to say that there'd just be a lot of forgotten about climbs in Scotland, like yeah. especially Scotland where yeah, things are a bit more remote that things would just get buried. Well, they get buried anyway because it's Scotland. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Unless they're three stars. Sometimes, well, still when they're I, three I, stars, I don't know. <laughs> I think yeah. you still get covered in moss after a year of not being climbed. But um, actually, I've got a really interesting point to bring up on, on all this regarding like stars and their usefulness when you want to divert attention onto them so um a friend of mine was like the key developer and um, also the guidebook author for kalimnos uh aris and you know when when i first went to kalimnos years ago and um, you know every route was given like all the routes were given like five stars you know like ha, ha, the, the, i can't remember what it was it wasn't stars but it was something and it was like it was like the highest you could possibly give them. Every route was given it. And they were all the classics were getting climbed all the time. And um, <clears throat> they were getting really worn out over the years. And then on my last trip to Kalimnos, which was quite a while ago still, he told me in the latest update of the guidebook, he downgraded in terms of, or downstarred, a lot of the absolute classics. And in some of the crags which weren't getting any attention, he upgraded the stars with the idea that it would divert the crowds to these, um, you know, quieter crags and essentially take some of the pressure off the, off the more popular ones. And um, the, the, the other thing he did was he downgraded and upgraded the routes depending on um, what he thought people would like, playing to people's psyches. So, for example, there's like a classic 8A there, which was like everybody's first 8A, and it was just, there was always a queue on it. So he just downgraded the 7C+. Plus. And then there was this class. There was a seventy plus that was really good at another crag, but no one ever climbed it. So he upgraded to eighty, and all of a sudden it's the classic. So you know, it's uh, you can use you can use the star grading systems to to do things like that if you want. And if it's sport climbing, because it doesn't really matter too much. If it's trad climbing, it's maybe a little bit more <clears throat> ethically wrong. <laughs> it's kind of like a, it's like co- commercial grading or commercial starring. Yeah. So what I hear Robbie saying is. Upgrade everything at Kiddy Muir to three stars and all the sport routes on the Aberdeen coast to no stars and then you'll have quiet crags for the rest of us. But I feel like that kind of happens anywhere. Anyway, like star systems that are based, I feel like, around local... What's around locally? Because, yeah, you get three-star things at places like Kerry and Myopics and you're like, if you took that somewhere else, it's it's not going to be three stars but it does encourage people to get on it otherwise some crags would just have absolutely no stars so just be like no star routes anywhere but it kind of tells you what's like the best of the bunch at that crag the star system is really odd though i think a few a few years ago or maybe more recently there was a thread on ukc that talked about the star system and people really made rightly made the point that it's it's completely subjective. Like you can get someone that'll do a four-star route in the Scottish mountains and have a crap day on it, and say it was the worst route ever. And then you could have someone who does a two-star route on a perfect day with the perfect partner, and they have a four-star experience on that route. So it's a really an objective set of qualities that makes a route four stars. 
especially in Scotland, because you only get four-star routes in Scotland. There's no four-star routes in England. We've, like, been total kind of, like... We've been a bit funny and given ourselves an extra star in our guidebook <laughs> system, which I think is really funny. What about the Franklin yeah. guidebooks that are all uh, based on steins? Like a pint, like in a stein, you know? Like a beer stein. <laughs> is that their system? That's a... That's, that's system. I think they've got. I think they've got five of them, not just four. They got. Is five. that how, how many beers that you get after you've done the climbs? Yeah. So Action Direct has like. I think Action Direct has like seven actually. You know. <laughs> yes. It's so funny that it's got. It's, it's only got that number because it's Action Direct. I look at Action Direct. I'm just like, it doesn't look that good. <laughs> People love it. It's like I guess the history <laughs> contributes to its stars though. Like rather yeah, exactly. than climbing so much. Maybe Hubble's the same though. Is the climbing in Hubble that good, or is it just because it is a very historical route? Doesn't look that good. See, Robbie, you've just said Action Direct doesn't. You've said Action Direct doesn't look good. Like that's just cemented. Anytime you go back there, you're going to get chased away by the locals. That's it. You're no longer welcome. This just cements what everybody else was saying about it being completely subjective. I think Action Direct looks rubbish. I think Hubble looks boring. Whereas. When I go to, like, Sierra and look at La Rambla, I'm just like, holy crap, look at that 50-meter line. You know, that looks amazing. Or, you know, you know I don't know, any epic adventuring, adventure route in Scotland because I'm psyched on big, long routes, you know. I like, you know, being pumped and having a long way between gear and not worrying that I'm going to hit the ground. That's kind of, that adds a star for, for me, you know. Jumping around on monos, like, minuses, stars. Yeah, risk of, like, my tendon exploding <laughs> out my forearm. Is like negative five stars, I reckon. So to 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 round that to round that up and end that question, like I think, I don't think there is an objective way to give stars. Even a community consensus or first ascensionist given the stars, it's so subjective. So, like the star rating gets traffic. It gives the route traffic. It might not be as good as you thought it was going to be at three stars, or it might be in your book a four star route. It's it's a totally subjective thing. Yes, the first ascensionist should be the one to give the initial star rating for sure. Um, they have the experience to decide roughly what it is. It gives a route traffic. And then, you know, things like UKC are great for being able to give the community consensus. Except if you're Robbie and you're giving stars to route set, don't tell Jake, according to Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've, I've officially downgraded all of Robbie's first ascents to no stars. I'll go next. I'll get go. out of the way. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. I, I now, feel, we're, now we're going to yeah. annoy some people. <clears throat> yeah, this is, this is risky here. I've got, I mean, I could possibly make a lot of enemies um, with this question. Um, no, this, this kind of point, I feel like it's, it's a couple of questions, actually. Um, so, actually, I'm, I think I was thinking I'm going to, like, I'm going to rewind back in time, back to lockdown 1.0, um, because... Um, me and Callum had a, a conversation on Facebook that I remember. Um, <clears throat> it was really funny. So basically, lockdown 1.0, like it was, I think it was spring or early summer. The sun was just like baking everyone. You know, it was be- beautiful, beautiful weather outside. Conditions, to be honest, conditions weren't great because it was kind of probably hot and sweaty. But they were the sort of days that you want to get out and go you know, climbing in the mountains, having, you know, great days out, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and it was dry. And uh, I got a message from Callum. And he was like, oh, hey, man, what's up? You know, where are you at, sort of thing. Because everyone was in lockdown. So assuming I, sh- I should be in my flat, 
um, in Edinburgh. And I sit on this picture of me in Glen Etive with a Hawaiian shirt on, climbing the Etive slabs. <laughs> I think it was long, it was long reach actually. And, uh, and he, he just, I remember I was sort of watching to see what the response would be. And I think it was just something like, <clears throat> like, oh, fair enough, dude. Like, nice one. Good to see you're getting out. <laughs> and I was just sitting there giggling. I missed the, <laughs> the total giveaway was like, you sent that picture and then I didn't realise you also sent a message saying, oh, I was climbing for a bunch of like old vulnerable people <laughs> and I've got a bit of a cough. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot that bit as well. <clears throat> I mean, I'm a total wind up because actually... I was sitting in my flat underneath a fingerboard, waiting, you know, between the sets on, on some dead hangs, um, which is where I should have been. And it was right, you know, but I was just wanting to see Callum's response. Because, um, you know, like the, the, <clears throat> the, the lockdown, obviously, um, back then, like climbing was essentially illegal. Like, you know, BMC Mountain in Scotland had essentially put down the gauntlet and said, climbing is now illegal. If you go climbing, you will be shot on sight. Um, I believe uh, Robert actually had a sniper and he was like paroling the crags <coughs> just in case. Yeah, it took down so many people. It's loads of people, yeah. Anyway, um, so and, uh, now we can like fast forward to now. And we're not really in the same position we were then because climbing is not illegal. But COVID rates and numbers and numbers of death are through the roof. They are like, they are like monumentally far worse than they were back then. <clears throat> and then the question arises, you know, you know, is it an accept is it acceptable risk to go climbing at this at this time when um, you are potentially putting emergency services and the NHS, you know, at risk or putting more strain on them? Is that a is that something that we need to you know, to consider now, <clears throat> I believe, I believe it is, um, but, you know, what, what is, you know, wh where is the, where's the line, you know, is uh, going cragging, bouldering, is bouldering fine, is trad climbing fine, is winter climbing out, is that not allowed, is going to the mountains okay, you know, like, what, what is allowed, what isn't, um, so that's, that's kind of like the first part of my question, I have like another part to the question later, which I'll, I'll kind of like get onto in a bit once, um, once we've chatted about this bit, so yeah, what do you guys think? I think this is going to be the episode that Robbie loses all his sponsors, Callum and Robert get fired, and Rebecca has no repercussions whatsoever. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to lose my sponsors because I, I, my sponsors have already told me that I sh I'm, I'm, it's totally legitimate that I do not go climbing. They're like, that's fine. You don't have to go climbing. Do not worry about it. Don't worry about posting any stuff on Instagram or Facebook or doing any of the stuff that we expect you to normally do. It's fine, you know, because in a sense my career as a professional climber, I guess is, I'm almost like being furloughed, you know? I'm being furloughed as a professional climber, you know? So that, that, that's, that's kind of cool. It's good that the spot, my sponsors have said that to me. What I'm at risk of is losing a bunch of friends who are probably currently out going climbing. <laughs> but we'll see that, we'll see about that after this uh, podcast goes live. <clears throat> Surely it just comes down to everyone's individual, like, experience and at, not maybe not attitude to risk is the right word, but if you're an experienced boulderer, going bouldering locally right now is probably not the most dangerous thing you could do. But if you'd never gone winter climbing before, going out for your first winter routes might not be the best idea if you could do that 
locally. So maybe a really experienced winter climber will be able to make a justification that they can do easy routes and they'll be more safe than they usually would. But maybe they wouldn't go bouldering because they don't feel comfortable bouldering. Yeah, because we were talking about this. Like, we've got winter climbing in Perthshire and I was like, oh, I, I did want to get out in winter, but this year I've not done a lot. And I was like, oh, well, it's it would be would be cool. And I, like, I have kids. I'm not a risk taker. I wouldn't be taking any risks. It would, like, be, like, all green avalanche and I'd be as safe as possible but in another sense I've not done enough winter climbing I feel like to be able to gauge risk if that makes sense like I I'm not going to be able to make that judgment as accurately as someone who's done loads like I might think some like placements feel like totally solid totally bomber but I'm not good at judging like snow or ice so we made a a call that we just give it give it a miss for now until things look a little bit better that that being said I've been out bouldering like every week and if sport climbing was legit at the moment as well if it was a bit warmer I'd be out sport climbing I'd be out trad climbing because I feel like I can I can make those judgments pretty bloody well I think that's fair enough I think another another uh point to consider as well though is like you know when i see that on bbc news or something they've found some walkers in like the hills and they've been uh, they've been taken away by the police and fined and as well as obviously been saved they've been saved because they've got into some hellish problem and they, quite often they're always referred to as climbers you know like <clears throat> a couple of climbers are caught in the mountains but they're not climbers they're actually just kind of hill walkers um and so like i think like when you it's, it's quite difficult to like say, well, if you've got the experience, you can go and do it. And if you don't have the experience and you don't do it, but where's that line? And what's, what is count, what counts as experience? And, and, you know, I guess like some people might be like, well, I, I can, I can, I can handle myself in the mountains, of course. And they'll just go out and do it, but then they'll get some sort of trouble. Um, so yeah, it's quite a difficult one to, to, to nail down from like a, from an all encompassing point of view, you know? I I'm I'm I, I feel I need to kind of clarify something here. Uh, so oh, yeah. Mountaineer in Scotland's Mountaineer in Scotland's position on, on the whole thing, climb Scotland's position on the whole thing is yes. If you know if you can get outside climbing or out to the hills or whatever within your travel restrictions, uh, you know that five miles outside of your local authority deal. Um, if you can get out, you are more than welcome to get out. We encourage you to be able to go and do it. But because of, you know, the increased risks to stressing on the NHS, on the emergency services, keep well within your limits, the, the limits of your ability, your experience, the weather, the conditions out there, you know, do stuff that is not going to put you under much stress because it's great to get out there, but we don't want to cause any excess stress on emergency services, NHS kind of thing. Um, so, you know, yes, it's it's. Like Becca said, going out for her going out doing winter climbing just now might be a little bit too risky because she's not, uh, you know, practiced in in the art these days. But bouldering, she's all good with. So leave the winter climbing thing to the side for just a little bit. Focus on bouldering. Um, I think you know everybody has their their they know what their limits are. They know where what the weather conditions are looking like, what their experience is, and they know what they can do that's well within that. You know, keeping things really easy. 
Um, like I've been out to the our, my local crag a couple of times, and you know I've not done anything hard, keeping it mega mega easy, just because it's just it feels great to get out, and that's it. It's just brilliant being outside. I don't care about pushing grades or anything like that. Um, keeping it well within your well within your ability, and uh, for any of the people that have ended up having to be mountain rescued off hills because they've had accidents or got lost or whatever like that. Not all of them have been taken away by the police. Only the ones that were out with their five miles from their local authority. I, d- I don't want anybody yeah, yeah, so being under the... I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want anybody to be under the assumption that if you, you know, go out into the hills within your local authority and hurt yourself, you're at risk of being arrested. That's not a thing. Only if you're flaunting the travel restrictions. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, that kind of like I think that quite nicely um, brings me on to the second part of the of the question, which is about the the distance people will travel for climbing and who and who isn't allowed to do it. Because um, there was, um, <clears throat> I'm going to try and phrase this in the nicest possible way. Um, <laughs> there was there was definitely there was a period near the end of last year. Uh, in the end of 2020, when things were getting worse um, in the UK with, you know, COVID-19. They were getting steadily worse. And I was seeing it every day on, on, the, on the TV, on the news. And, um, and actually a friend of mine who's a, who's a paramedic in London and Sheffield <clears throat> was posting these like, insane like, uh, stories on his Instagram every day of just how bad it was getting and just really driving home that we should be like, you know, you know, kind of like staying local as best as possible, trying to do everything we can to, to sort of like prevent the spread of the virus. And then basically at the same time, I saw a bunch of pro climbers, not one, just like a bunch of them, loads of them, who were posting on their social media platforms that they were traveling internationally, like to go climbing. And they were using the pro climber uh, sort of like header as the reason for traveling because in their eyes climbing is essential work um, I guess it's their job it's their career um, so they sh- should be allowed to go and climb when the rest of the country can't climb because climbing is not their job so yeah that 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 really kind of like I will be honest for a few for about a week I was like kind of stewing, I was like thinking about it and I was like can I get a wee bit upset with them? There was a couple of there was quite a number of them who were like literally going from one country to the next to the next to the next and it was dead obvious and I was like somebody has to say something and then Jorg Verhoeven who's a really outspoken but you know in a really good way um climber he's a, he's a professional climber from um from holland but he lives in innsbruck and he he he, out, he was basically wrote a post about it basically saying not not calling anyone out basically saying you know do should should pro climbers be traveling and then that kind of gave me the courage to do the same thing and i posted it <clears throat> and off the back of my post i had hundreds and hundreds of messages basically from people saying yeah, you're totally right. Pro climbers shouldn't be traveling right now. They should be staying local to their spaces, local to their homes, um, and uh, trying to just you know stick the roses like everybody else. And I think the I think the other thing that kind of like irked me a little bit with a lot of the pro climbers 
that in particular the programmers that I saw traveling was the fact that they might be on national, they were on national teams um, and they live in areas with the world's best climbing. Like, you know, like they have like world-class climbing on their doorstep. They do not have to travel to another country to get climbing. They also had the keys to all the local gyms, which no normal climber is allowed to go into at the moment in any of these countries. So, so they were just like, they, they had the keys to the gyms that they can just go and use whenever they wanted. I'm just like, they, they have more than the rest of us. So why is it that they have to travel for climbing? Why is it acceptable? Because um, I don't think that climbing rocks is an important enough activity that it should be deemed essential work. Um, and that, yeah, that pretty much rounds up my, uh, I, I guess you can tell what my opinion on it is on it. <laughs> my tone. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's interesting. Like for for there's a there's a couple of sponsored athletes out there that that is the way they make their money, um, and without being able to go climbing, would they get their same amount of money from their sponsors? Or because I don't think the sponsored athletes are going to get put on any kind of furlough. Um, for well, that the, kind well, of thing. well, so, well, I did essentially. Like, I mean, I, I have been like I like. Not, no, I've got, I've got three main sponsors who, who together make up like a, a bulk of my annual income and uh, two of them have uh, essentially furloughed me. So I get uh, I, it's less money than I would per year. And I, I was just like, that's acceptable. You know, I understand, you know, that's absolutely fine um, because everyone else has to deal with that. Um, also, because I'm not traveling, my expenses have gone right down. So I'm actually, it's kind of okay, you know? It's not a big deal. Surely sponsors wouldn't be encouraging folk to kind of like push the guidelines because in my opinion, that is totally pushing the guidelines. If you've, you're supposed to be the professional athlete thing is to travel out with your local authority area to access training facilities if I'm... I think that's what what the deal is, and if you've got, and that should be the closest one that is local to you, not in the next country, like in the next, like if you've got a good wall or like a good crag in your next, like local, uh, in the next local authority area over for you, that so surely sponsors wouldn't be promoting a blatant like disregard for that. of the guidelines, like because it makes their brand look bad. Yeah, I think yeah. the the yeah. guidelines have obviously been written like for more mainstream sports where it would work if you're like a track cyclist and you didn't live in a consti- uh, authority where there's like a velodrome but yeah. the next authority along had a velodrome you could train in so it's like allowing you to go to that specialized facility i think like going on a climbing trip and kind of trying to relate that in the same way that a velodrome and a professional cyclist used like in that same way is a bit kind of like far-fetched maybe going to a climbing wall is the same as that, but not going abroad to train in Margalef or Catalonia or somewhere in Spain. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Again, again, I'm going to clarify um, something here again. Um, the the exemption for professional athletes to travel allows professional athletes to travel out with their five mile restri- five mile from their local authority restriction um, to travel across local authorities as far as they need to for training. 
but that only extends to professional athletes that have and the the term professional athlete only extends to those on a GB squad not those who get paid to climb so if you are on a GB squad in any sport you get that exemption if you are not on a GB squad you don't get the exemption to travel as far as you like even if your yeah. main income is being a professional climber like Robbie Phillips you don't have the the, the exemption to travel um, so loads yeah. of sponsored athletes out there traveling to go to the crag and do social media posts and all that stuff. You know, within the UK, you don't have the, that exemption. It's even more specific, actually, because it's not even you have to be in a GB squad or a GB team, but it has to be connected to the Olympic pathway as well. So like it has to be a squad that is competing in the Olympics that is, or aiming to compete in the Olympics. Like that is the only thing that counts as professional. Yeah. Do you think it excludes yeah. some of the winter Olympic sports? It, it excludes our GB ice climbing team and it excludes the GB para climbing team because they're not on the Olympic pathway at the moment. Yeah, yeah, because they're the IFSC comps rather than the Olympic. Yeah. And even then, yeah, like whoever's travelling further than needs be is just kind of, yeah, kind of flaunting it for the, to the rest of us that can't yeah. do the same, which is going to yeah. make folk feel quite bitter. Yeah. But in the same sense... Would you rather, if you were going, if they were going to bend the guidelines or or break them, would you rather they just kept quiet about it? Yeah, and did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, and because because. But cause... then la- and just lied, like being like, "Oh, stay it. Everyone should be staying at home and doing what they're told," and then like sneaking off and like winter climbing on the. Like bend, I don't, I don't or... think they should. I don't think they should be doing that. But I'd rather they did that than what they're yeah. what they're doing, which is basically just highlighting the fact that they're breaking the rules. Because uh, this, my, my, la- my absolute last point for this was the perception it gives off. It's rules for yeah. some and yeah, rules for, sure. for others. It, it does feel a bit unfair. But then this really is unfair because, you know, if you're just like saying, I don't care about the rest of you guys, I'm just going to off and climb. And then it, doesn't, it creates a bad perception, a bad, uh, it's a bad, bad role model in my opinion. Something I'm having to think about as well <clears throat> on a personal level is... Last year, I had a, an expedition trip to Pakistan planned. I had to bail on that, obviously. And in this summer, I was like, right, well, I'll hope that I can maybe go to Pakistan again. But at the moment, even if things were absolutely like, even if travel was kind of more or less okay come the summer, international travel, I'm still thinking about the perception it would give off going at a time you know, like this, when we're just off the back of such a, of such an extreme, uh, you know, pandemic and situation, COVID and everything, that I would be, I would be, I'm still wary of it. I'm at, I mean, I'm still, I'm, not, I'm like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go because it's encouraging more people to travel when actually what we should be doing is just kind of enjoying what we've got in our own country and local to us, which to be honest, it's pretty good. Well, I guess, I guess in my, in my situation, I was actually more considering the fact that like, things might be okay in the UK but they might not be okay in Pakistan um, even though travel international travel is allowed and my, my one my one my, my really like strong opinion is that there's um, people in those countries that won't have access to the first world medical care that we have and we're essentially just adding to the problem so until everything's kind of like internationally is a little bit more like solid I would be reluctant whereas I think what people are kind of doing more and well, I think what people are kind of doing, especially 
I see a lot of expeditions kind of being planned from the States. <clears throat> things seem, things until recently have been a lot more relaxed there. And they're just kind of like organizing expeditions left, right and center to all over the place. I got, I know teams going to Brazil, Pakistan, you know, the Himalayas. And I'm just like, how can you possibly be organizing this right now? How can you, how can you be so sure that you're going to, that it's going to be okay? You know, I, I don't understand. Like I'm sitting here being like, like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to Pakistan. And you guys are all going, yeah, we're going to Pakistan. But is that the same, like, in less developed countries? Like, do you think about it the same when there's civil unrest, when there's other outbreaks of different illnesses that might not affect you so much? Like, there's always going to be a lack of, uh, yeah, like, medicine and medical equipment. And I, I'm just wondering if this same mindset will continue on, if that makes sense. Like should, we should be taking this into consideration all of the time, not just yeah. in. Yeah, I, I, I do think we should, probably should. I think if anything, this has probably allowed us a chance to to think more about our actions. Yeah. Um, with yeah. travel, you know, I, I guess like, cl- should climbers be climbing slash traveling during COVID? Yeah, that's that's the that's a general that's a general question, isn't it? So I think like for me, like yes. Please still like go if you're able to within the travel restrictions. Please still go go climbing, go hill walking, but stay well within your limits. Take it easy. Don't be pushing yourselves. Don't be pushing your your experience or the conditions. You know, winter weather is all forever changing at the moment. So you know, take it take it easy. Um, and you know, for those that are using the pro athlete exemption of being able to move around. Um, I suppose think about what you're doing and the message you're putting out there. Put well, put the me- think about what you're doing and the message that you're putting out there on social media and stuff like that. But you know, realize that the pro athlete exemption really is very limited to who it benefits. Yeah. You know, just because you're a sponsored athlete yeah. doesn't doesn't cover you. You know, so yeah, do really think about what you're putting out there and what you're doing. Should we celebrate the bold? Go. Yeah, explain, explain. Bold as in bold a sense. Bold, dangerous wise. Yeah. Like bold roots and soloing, essentially. Yes. I mean, yes, I think think we absolutely should. Yeah, Yeah, sure. But so So, would you take partial responsibility when someone hurts themselves? Just to preface this, though, I reckon, like, it, it's so easy to narrow it down and say, oh, it's just soloing and bold routes that are dangerous. You no, know, like, but yeah. scrambling's dangerous. If you yeah. fall off scrambling, you yeah. die. It's like soloing. Yeah, yeah totally. Like, the, 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 the risk is exactly the same. Like, someone yep. who's more an experienced trad climber is arguably at less risk in a bold route than a novice scrambler. Like, risk exists in all aspects of sport, yeah. and you have to accept that so it's not just soloing and no dangerous trad routes like it's everything that's included is your argument that celebrating bold ascents is encouraging people to do slightly more dangerous stuff than they might be able to do and then might you know hurt themselves or die so effectively we're encouraging yeah. people to commit suicide or encouraging reckless behavior essentially <clears throat> no well, i mean like is solo is free solo climbing reckless behavior that's that's a question because you know yeah when, but so i'm not i was gonna say like free like for example alex honnold right soloing el, el cap you know it was obviously like alex mm-hmm. is not someone who's very reckless and 
You know, no. he's the complete opposite of reckless, and he made sure that yeah. he was as in control as he possibly could be from when he did the ascent. And I, I think like mm-hmm. there was concern when Free Solo came out that it was going to encourage loads of people to go out and do that, to go and find Free Solo El Cap, mm-hmm. and then. But I don't see litters of bodies at the bottom of Freerider from people trying to Free Solo El Cap. Yeah. You know, that's that's not happened. Which which be. Maybe... But I think that film. All that did means, quite though... a good job of. Um... Highlighting how calculated Alex Honnold was, if that makes sense, and I'm not, I'm not trying to argue that people shouldn't solo or shouldn't do bold routes because I'm not, I can't question anyone's motives. But when we start to glorify people doing bold things, it starts becoming the perception, yeah, that you get, yeah, fame and glory from from doing bold things, and we are in- encouraging more people to do this through that. Okay, what's the alternative to if you don't glorify it, do you ignore it? Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I'd say because ignoring it's worse. I actually think if you look historically, we're probably at this point in time, we're probably we probably glorify that type of climbing far, far less than we did thirty, oh, yeah. 30 years ago. Because you know, yeah. um, you know, back in the back in the days when bold, bold climbing was the thing, and you had like you know. Johnny Dawes and John Redhead clashing, and then you also had like in America, like Ron Kalk and um, flipping what's his name? Forgotten the guy's name. Anyway, like they were, you know, and those guys, they were just like wanting up each other for who can do the boldest, scariest thing. And now it's not about that. It's about who can dead hang off the Beastmaker small edge for the longest, <laughs> with the most amount of weight in the other hand. Because really. That is what everyone should be trying to achieve um, in their climbing. But we do, we do still have it. Like we have speed records on things, and by which, like the only way you can get faster is by taking more and more and more risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. and when we celebrate someone having done something faster, are we then encouraging more people to take those risks? But so uh, Robbie's point is really interesting about like like the masters of stone era like kind of hard testosterone fueled soloing and this sort of stuff but take it back to like the 50s and 60s like if you fell off on anything you died so celebrating any climbing at all back then is celebrating being bold because (laughs) when people went climbing 50 years ago any climbing was bold like no matter what you yeah, did. but then did it need to be celebrated? If people are doing things for the the right reasons, did it need to be celebrated? Does it need to be mentioned? Like, or does it just encourage reckless behavior? I mean, there's always going to be an, a, there was a bit, a bit of celebration amongst the climbing community. I mean, people are psyched on what other people are doing, so they're going to talk about it. You know the the doing it for the right doing it for the right reasons argument is like well, you know if we look at the, the Stone Masters, the even before the Stone Masters, like Royal Robbins um and bloody hell, what's his name? Warren Harding. Um like the two of them were doing it for the right reasons, but they were seriously competitive with each other because of the popularity the other one was getting over doing their ascents. So they were pushing the limits and pushing the boldness of stuff because of the popularity, but they were also doing it for, you know, for their own personal like I wanted go and do awesome climbs and I want to climb for my life. Um, but like, I don't know, like my, my kind of perspective on it is, yes, celebrating boldness and bold ascents and, you know, whether it be bold trad lines, 
scary, sketchy sport lines, bouldering or free soloing. Like, there might be the odd person that gets enthusiastic and goes out and tries to do something like that. But, you know, they they then are doing it for themselves for whatever reason they want to, but they have to accept the risks that come along with that. If we don't celebrate, you know, the bold ascents, the, the big things that happen in our sport, how is the sport supposed to develop? You know, all the, like like we said back in the heyday, back in the seventies and eighties, when the sport was developing really fast, was because guys were going out and doing really bold stuff, pushing the limits of their physical ability and pushing the limits of the equipment that they had. If we don't, if we no longer do bold ascents, if we no longer push the limits of our ability and the equipment that we have, if we no longer do bold stuff, the sport stops developing. Oh no, we just we we move on to the Beastmaker Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, Beastmaker Olympics, that's it. But I just I still feel like there's this kind of attitude towards taking risks that um that when you're like, Oh yeah, and then I did this route and like these three bits of gear ripped and I took this like huge big fall and landed like next to my Belier and you're like, and all everyone's my videos. like Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you're like because right, here we go. Um like when you were in or whatever you're like oh yeah look at this bit of gear that I just clipped it's so rubbish blah 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 and it's like but is that cool <laughs> or is it just a little bit risky but to defend Robbie to be fair I don't really remember much about that to be honest I'm just like vaguely remember seeing some like chossy shit that you were clipping that's that's just like part of climbing like you can't ignore that there's there's there's, there's bad gear and like there's sketchy yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, definitely not. But you can also not glorify it. I'm not glorifying it. I don't think I was. Sorry, I'm going to defend myself a little bit here. I, I don't think I would have been glorifying in the way of like, look how brave I am. I think it was more like, mm-hmm. look, look at this and how crazy this is, kind of thing. You know, like that you have to kind of like figure this stuff out. Like when I'm in the Dolomites, I remember taking pictures of all the rusty pegs that you have to trust, and it's just like. It's it's kind of scary, and it's like Jesus. This is actually this is climbing. Yeah. You know, this is what this is what you have mm-hmm. to do sometimes. And I don't know. It's just just kind of like giving a, a window of uh, a, a view into like what what you have to do sometimes in climbing, which is kind of I, I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, but, like a bit yeah. of an insight. But I guess yeah, there's ways to to word that. Like the weekend, I watch the weekend whipper videos, and instead of being like, oh look at man, look at that fall, I'm like, oh look at that fall yeah like yeah that's like why is that be unless they're not posting this as a learning point they're posting this for people to be like oh man look at that and you're just like that's not entirely responsible is it yeah yeah Yeah, actually i would probably agree with that yeah well I i wonder how many people on friday night say to the mates let's try and get the weekend whipper you know I wonder how many people do that. Like, like I'm going to... No, but you'll see folk big up their risk-taking a lot. So, I think... you Have you been on Weekend Whipper, Robbie? Yeah, I even know how many times I've been on it. <laughs> yeah, I've been on... So, I've been on once. So, that's two, two of the four of the panel have been on it. And, like... Like, I think of the time that I was on it, not as, like, a glorification of risk, but, like... I think you can learn from the Weekend Whipper some... I don't think people go out and really, like, want to get on Weekend Whipper, but I think it, it, 
to defend it a little bit, it can be used as a method of learning what not to do. Like my yeah, video but it's not is put like out a, there like that. It's not like oh, so these are the mistakes that this guy made, and here's how not to do them. But I think quite often they do. Like in the description, it'll say like things that went wrong, and if you look at the comments, people will comment and yeah. be like, "Yeah, oh yeah, definitely." The comments were very particular about what I did Scathing. wrong when I fell off. Yeah, yeah so how I fell, <laughs> you know, why I shouldn't have fallen that way, like why I should have chosen to spin around in a different direction when I was falling. But then, okay, to obscene. to continue this slight slight dig at Robbie, do you not have a YouTube video that like either the headline <laughs> or the tagline is you fall, someone falling yeah. off in the sea cliffs? So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you're right. And it, it, I guess does it it does it kind of glorify. Falling. I guess it's. I mean, those those taglines was like fifty foot whipper. They're mainly just to like get people to watch. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the thing. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not, it's not mainly. It here. is to get people to watch because we, we've narrowed in on what people like to see, and uh, usually and danger is one of the things they like to see. But I mean, yeah, that's I don't, I don't go out looking well. for danger. I don't go out trying to trying to to hurt myself. Um, if it does happen, is it okay to talk about it? I think it's okay to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. It's okay to talk about it, but it's not okay to make it look, like, cool. But then yeah. but then Robbie doing the pictures of the pegs. Like, to me, all, that's, all that is to me is someone... Oh, yeah, that's on... different. Okay. Um, But I, I had it in my head that it was kind of like a... Oh, look at these things that we're clipping. Ah, we're so badass. Your view of me is so low. it's all coming out now yeah (laughs) should we celebrate bold ascents i still say yes like when someone does something awesome that pushes the boundaries of the sport regardless of how bold it was yes we should, should celebrate it because of the the development aspect you know if someone does super risky i think absolutely yes we should talk about it and let people learn the lessons from that risky element that they did whatever whatever that may be um encouraging people to continue doing risky things you know that has to be a personal decision i think every climber knows fine well that it's it's a a a risky sport that we do like no matter what we do to try and make it as safe as possible there are still risks there and the bolder you get the more risks you're you're bringing in i think you just have to as a climber accept what risks they are and what you're actually willing to put yourself through, I suppose. You know, that has to be a personal choice. That can't come from pressure from the community or social media videos or, you know, no matter how many views you might get, Robbie, stop falling off. No, honestly, this has actually been a really good conversation because I've, it's actually made this, this particular topic is maybe think about like how I, um, put forward things like that. So, Thanks for that, Becca, because I might actually do something, like a video on that or something, just to say. I don't think, that there's not like a concrete answer to that one, is there? I think it's like, you can celebrate bold climbing, but I don't think you should focus on it and exclude every other part of climbing. It should be celebrated equally along with every other aspect of climbing. Personally, I just, I don't think it should be glorified. When we when we glorify something, we encourage it, and I don't think we should be encouraging people to take big risks. But but like, but, but but when you say glorify, <clears throat> but like what what do you? I still don't understand what you mean by glorify. Does that mean we like so James Pearson does that new direct that that direct finish of Charlie Woodburn's the other day there in on the grit 
and Black Rocks. Very, very, mm -hmm. very bold ascent. E9, you're going to fall yeah. off. You're going to smash yourself on the bottom of the crag. So does yeah. that, does that, he didn't do that according to you, according to the media. We're just not going to post that. Yeah, well, why does it need to be in the media? Yeah, because definitely. Because it's amazing. Like, tell tell it's your friends like, or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like a, I, I actually think that that's an incredible mental um, achievement, you know, like pushing the boundaries of like what your your mind can uh, can deal with. Any Dave, relatively bold, I mean, all of Dave McLeod's ascents are relatively bold, but yeah. like, you know, any Dave McLeod hard routes, like, or, you know, if I ever do this thing up at Duntelchig, I mean, that's got risk to it as well. You know, like, does that, do those things don't yeah. exist, they didn't happen. So it doesn't allow the sport to really progress at that, in that, in that way, because less people are going to kind of know about it. But you, you, so it, it doesn't, it, I think. Okay, so maybe you need to be careful about the wording <clears throat> around. Yeah, the wording and possibly also, possibly also the style in which someone does something. So like, you know, Alex Honnold is a, and Dave McLeod, I think are great examples of people who are just very careful in the way they approach things. They're very calculated. And of course, accidents do happen, but they approach it in a very intelligent uh, and thoughtful way. Whereas you get the guy from, uh, from you know, the Masters of Stone videos from years ago. But there was this other guy who actually died um, on an Irish sea cliff. And he was just mad. He just like soloed things and said, hold breaking doesn't doesn't happen to me and uh, i'll solo at my limit and i'll always push i'm always pushing 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 you know it was just the attitude that came across was was wrong he ended up dying on an irish sea cliff when a wave took him out because i think he i think he just didn't calculate the, the how big the waves are going to be and and you know you're just kind of waiting for that to happen you're you know he's going to die eventually because his approach to to free solo climbing or to climbing in general is just quite dangerous. So maybe we just shouldn't promote that type of attitude or approach. Yeah. You know? Making light of risk. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, at the end of the day, like, we're all, yeah, somebody's friend and somebody's, like, yeah. But instead, <coughs> filmmakers, instead of saying, like, look, guys, that is fucking reckless. That's, like, yeah, you're our friends. Can you please, like, rein it in? They're like, ah, you know what? We're going to film it. And right. we're going to make a movie about it. A kind of deeper question I have about this is, is it, the audience, is it the audience or is it the filmmaker that's glorifying this? Yeah. Because to play devil's advocate a bit, like I think the role of a film filmmaker is to portray something that is happening in real life. Like, <clears throat> mm -hmm. as a filmmaker, you can either choose to completely ignore it and not film anything, or you choose to create something. And really, for me, it's like the audience that... Is the, the the audience is the person that glorifies it, not the filmmaker. The but the filmmaker can choose to step in, like they're people. Yeah, but then is that is it? Do you just never show anything that's sketchy? That unfortunately, <clears throat> there is sketchy people. There is people that are going to die. That's just like the way of life. Do you either choose to completely ignore them and not film them? Or... You definitely have a control over how it's portrayed, though. And if you did think it was, yeah, you can you are, you are in a position to step in and say something and give your opinion. But why if they just say, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway? Yeah, well, you, but you're in control of how this film comes... It just strikes me as a funny line between, like... Yeah, definitely. It's, it's almost like line. censorship. It's like, do you just pretend things don't happen? And I, I, re I don't like the idea of censorship and try, like just basically thinking things don't happen when they do. Yeah, acceptable risk is different for everybody, and it has to be 
no matter what kind of bold climbing you're doing, whether it's a bold trad line or a free solo or whatever, like it has to be a personal choice and you need to understand the risks involved with that. I agree that when it comes to the you know glorifying it or putting content out there, videos, social media posts, whatever it is, like videographers and people, even sponsored athletes putting stuff out there, they kind of have a responsibility to put what is happening out there. But the wording of things can definitely be better, you know, instead of just saying, this guy free soloed something, you know, you can go, this guy free soloed something, but free soloing is really freaking dangerous. So if you're going to do it, no, understand the risks. I agree that we do need to recognise bold ascents because they're impressive feats, aren't they? Like otherwise, it, yeah, helps push sport forward. But yeah. I don't think, yeah, like making risk the the big deal is how we do that. Okay. It's kind of it's, similar to mine, isn't it? It's quite similar to, to Becca's, to be honest, or like a similar theme. But there's two things that made me think of this. One of them was one of the fir- first podcasts I li- listened to called Dirtbag Diaries. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to it much before. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but basically it was a guy going through a story and saying that his friends had been on a trad route and he'd been like at the bottom, bottom giving him loads and loads of encouragement. Like, oh, go on, man, you can do it. You've got this. You're strong. Keep on going. And basically what ended up happening is the guy took a fall, all his gear ripped out and he hit his head really badly and ended up with like a kind of mild to serious like brain injury that's like affected him for the rest of his life. And the Belier, the guy who did the podcast, basically said that like that haunted him for the, almost the rest of his life. Like him, he kind of felt like he was a part of what had happened by giving him encouragement and that maybe if he hadn't done that that some like it, it might not have happened and then the other thing that made me think about this is there's two distinct times I've been climbing once with Robbie and once with Robert and one of them with Robbie was in Wales and we were climbing King Wad oh, and yeah. um, I remember get getting like two thirds of the way up and like <laughs> The gear wasn't bad. It wasn't, like, amazing. Realistically, I think it would have held a fall. And I was a bit scared of pulling in some of the holds because I thought they were a bit loose. And Robbie will tell you, like, I must have been there for, like, an hour or something, like, at one spot, like, waiting to go. And, like, eventually I committed to it. And the one thing that, like, really pushed me forward is I heard Robbie shout up from below, like, just grab that crimp and pull as hard as you possibly can. And then that's all I heard. And I remember grabbing that crimp and full crimping it and just absolutely yarding on it and doing the move and, like, getting up. And, like, to be honest, like, if Robbie hadn't said that, I actually think I wouldn't have done it. I think I would have climbed back down and taken the gear out uh, or lowered off or fallen off or something. And then another time was a, uh, Robert, very similar at Dunkeld. I put loads of gear in and was going up and down. And eventually Ro- Robbie, uh, Robert just said... Either the gear is alright or the gear is not alright. And then I thought about that and was like, oh, the gear is alright. And I did the move and it was fine. And like, two examples for me were like, I think without the Belier saying something, I don't know if I would have ended up doing what I had done. So my question is, maybe specifically to trad climbing, is it okay to give encouragement or should you just be like completely silent and let people make their own decisions? given the risk is quite high. I stand by the statement that I gave to you. Either the gear is all right or the gear is not all right. Like, the the, the guy that you mentioned doing the dirtbag diaries, um, your man fell off and all of his gear ripped. The gear wasn't all right. 
So, like, regardless of whether he pushed on or tried to lower off or whatever, the gear was probably going to rip regardless. So I don't think that was really on on him, I suppose. You know, giving someone encouragement, that's a specific thing. Either people like getting encouragement when they're climbing or they don't like getting encouragement when they're climbing. You know, I like getting encouragement when I'm climbing. I, I, like, I like people shouting and screaming for me. Whether it's indoors or sport climbing or track climbing, doesn't matter. I like that kind of social... So pressure side of it you know but there are some people out there that really don't like it that's a conversation you need to have with your climbing partner is like do you want me to talk to you do you want me to encourage you do you want me to shut up you know i think also it depends on the situation so um like king wad uh, in particular i can remember there was like the there was a gear on the left there was a there was a a, a, a pin on the right like a, a peg hammered in peg that was pretty bomber and actually, there was those two two uh, collections of gear, and if you, you were going to take a big fall, but the fall you were going to come nowhere near the ground. And uh, I think like when you're on the lead, sometimes you think the fall is bigger than it actually is. Whereas when you're billing, you can get more of an idea of the scale, and you're like, mm-hmm. actually, you know, I I can I can hold this fall. He'll be fine. Yeah. So I guess I was encouraging you from that perspective. I was trying to give you like motivation to to push on because I knew that there was a good chance like none, the gear wasn't going to go anywhere, you weren't going to go anywhere. On the other hand, um, <clears throat> I have been in a situation, I've been in situations as well, but more recently with Cullen actually, um, where I I was worried um, for his ability to do something having just been on it. And, uh, and I was like, I was nervous because I knew the gear wasn't good. So before he went up the climb, I would be like, I'd say, I, I, without not wanting to put him off, I'd be like, right, this move here is hard. I found it hard. I was like, just so you're aware of that. Like, you know, it's almost like the opposite of encouragement. It's actually like, uh, it could work against them in some ways, but I just want to be aware. And so like in situations like that, where I know it's bold or when I know it's hard and I know there's a risk, I'll generally shut up. And I'll just like be very focused, you know, um, because I don't want to encourage them, you know, too much either. I think it, maybe experience level comes into it a little bit as well. Like if if you're less experienced than your B layer or you think that your B layer is better than you, you're maybe slightly more likely to listen to what they're saying. So maybe, yeah, if you are the more experienced party, you've got to be a little bit careful if you're like, oh, go for it, because they might think, oh, if they say I can go for it, they know what they're doing, I'm fine. Whereas if you're not quite used to judging gear or thinking about it, then it might not be okay. Like, uh, But if it's the other way around and you're the experienced climber and you've got like not quite as an experienced belayer and they're like, oh yeah, go for it, you're more in a position to be like, actually, no, nah, I'm not very comfortable for going for it right now. Or I know my gear is bad and I know I'm going to need to be really careful. And I think you're more in a position to be able to make that call and ignore what your belayer is saying. Because I remember, yeah, belaying a friend at Dunkeld on this climb she was on and she was like up, down, she was up, down, putting, she put in a bit of gear and she's like up, down. And I remember just thinking, I'm not saying anything because I don't know what her gear is like. She's in more of a position to say that. And I'm worried if I say go for it, she's going to be like, okay, cool. Becca knows 
my gear is okay and I'll go for it, but I don't know. Um, like I, I know it's there is a good nut placement there, but I don't know if she's put it in properly. I don't know, like, but if she starts climbing, I'll be like, okay, nice one, you're doing really well. Like, there's that kind of like calming encouragement without like kind of like going like, oh, go for it, go for it, go for it. Maybe it's just uh, ultimately that comes down to the climber. I'd probably clarify that, particularly with Rob, the example I used of Robbie, I think I needed that encouragement. And I think it came from, like, generally, like, my gear is good. And Robbie had climbed enough with me to know that, even though he couldn't see the gear, and generally I'm probably overcautious with gear. So, like, a bit of encouragement in the other way kind of helped. So if I was in the same situation you were just talking about, mm-hmm. like, that encouragement might have helped, but... Yeah, and a different with two so you're different an experienced climbers. Climber as well. We know that. I I know that you wouldn't go for it above. You wouldn't make what you thought moves you might fall off of above gear that wouldn't hold you from the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's it's knowing your your partner, knowing your partner's ability and their experience as well. These are really important conversations to have with your climbing partners. You know, like what understanding what their experience, their ability is. You know, understanding what encouragement they actually want. Yeah, because even on sport climbs, sometimes, yeah, just, like, don't like being encouraged. Yeah. Uh, but it depends day to day as well. Like, I remember when we were in Kalimnos once, when we'd not long started seeing each other, and I was like, oh, Callum, take. And you were like, no, just go for it. And I was like, no, fucking take. <laughs> 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 like, you probably not gauged it quite right there. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas at other points, yeah, like, I, I do need a bit of a, a push. And I've like in in comps when I was younger. I remember hearing like sometimes you like everything zones out. But I remember like hearing Geek's voice coming through, being like, "Be aggressive, Becca." And you, I was like quite used to being quite hesitant. And I was like, "Oh yeah, go for it." Actually, like be aggressive in your climbing, and so, something's like that. That kind of stuff really cuts through and does yeah. help. But it's good just to I suppose understand that it's it's not. Like, encouragement isn't, like, this neutral thing that you just always do. And I think if you either climb at comps or you only climb indoors, maybe you could easily go outside thinking that. Mm -hmm. It's good to understand there's, like, a bit more depth to it than what first kind of meets the eye. Yeah. I think a bit of understanding from the B-layer as well, potentially, that, you know, you don't actually know what that gear's like, you know. You might you might know fine well what the moves are like and whether that person's capable of climbing the moves, but you don't know if they've actually placed that bit of gear correctly or not. So are you like should you yeah, should you really encourage them to to push it when they're obviously not comfortable? Um But I guess at like at the end of the day, it is I feel like this is like slightly contradicting the last question. I think it is personal responsibility to whether you go for things or not. Um, hundred yeah, percent. And you've got to make that that call. Like you, you can easily like you can't blame someone else's encouragement on your own decisions. Like again, I remember like at Crags, someone wigging. Again, this was just sport climbing, but I can imagine the same happening on track. Like someone wigging out above a bolt and being like, "It's too noisy in here. There's there's too much noise. Like, can everyone at the crag just kind of like shut up?" And you're like. Okay, you're having a bad day, <laughs> but it's not everyone else's chatter at the bottom of the crag that's causing this like stressful situation. Like you have to take a little bit of onus, or like all the onus <laughs> here. 
And I think the same can extend to... <laughs> but could you blame a filmmaker that's glorifying? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember, I, remember being in, I remember being in Spain and like an Oleana trying to, uh, trying to red point this 8C and, and uh, Phil Jack's daughter, Isla, who was just a wee, a wee thing at the time, was screaming at the bottom of the crag like just crying she wanted her she wanted her dad and her dad was bullying me and she was screaming and i was like in the midst of the crux trying to block out the screaming i was like i can't do this like no tell her to shut up (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't handle it i couldn't handle the screen i was like okay just take take (laughs) in reality were you maybe gonna fall off anyway (laughs) Maybe. <laughs> Were you maybe a bit pumped? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, I was using I as an excuse. <laughs> this is great. This whole podcast has just been bash Robbie. So should we should we encourage people when they're climbing? I think you need to talk to your climbing partner yeah. about yeah. it. Have a good yeah. conversation. For sure. It's a, it's a subjective thing. Have the conversation with your climber. Know when when is appropriate, when is not. Yeah. Maybe maybe Venga Ale is not appropriate whilst free soloing, and uh, a, a quiet. <laughs> come on, dude, you've got this. Or you know, is okay. You know, through Boulder ter- territory. Your mum's looking great right now. You you can make the right choice. Yeah, I am yeah. holding on to the rope. <laughs> 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 yeah, this has been good fun, man. Really good fun. Yeah, another controversial yeah. panel show done. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, guys. That was awesome. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. When are we do, when are we doing it again? Uh, Another six months. Oh well, like I think me and Callum are definitely going to have have to try and find different people for the next panel show. We can only handle so much, Robbie Phillips. Oh. Yeah, maybe I'd rather be <laughs> swallowed whole by a, a horse-sized duck than trampled to death by a hundred duck-sized horses. Maybe I'd take the duck. <laughs>